HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're kicking off our end-of-year fundraising drive with a special discount offer from our partner, Heritage Foods USA, an online farm-to-table butcher shop specializing in heritage breed antibiotic-free meats. Donate to Heritage Radio Network before Sunday, December 4th at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and we'll send you an exclusive discount code for 10% off all Heritage Foods products. Help ensure another year of great food radio, get 10% off delicious and sustainably produced meat, and support small family farms all in one shot. How's that for a holiday miracle? Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate by Sunday, December 4th to make your contribution. This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. Order now at chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45, 1 o'clock, a little late as normal, you know, you know how we do. Uh, joined as usual in the studio with uh, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good. We got Dave in the booth. What up? No, and today, special guest from... El Posto, the only Italian restaurant rated four stars by the New York Times, Chef Mark Ladner, to talk about his new book, the Del Posto Cookbook, along with the co-author, uh, Michael. Michael, what's your last name? Wilson. Wilson. No relation to, like, the mu- musical Wilsons, huh? No, unfortunately. So you don't have that kind of familial mess up to, like, because that would be a good story if you had, like, you know, Weird Wilson stories. Uh, I'm sure there's tons of weird Wilson stories because there's a lot of us, but yeah. I don't have any good ones. You're not related to the tennis ball people. Nope. <laughs> any like any weird Wilsons in your back? No, uh, probably, but I don't know any of the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of boring. Sorry. All right. You know what I found out? My last name means yesterday. Strangely, Eagle Power. <laughs> <laughs> like Arnold is like some German version of Eagle Power. Yeah. Anyway, call in your questions for Mark Ladner two. Uh, 718-497-2128 That's 718-497-2128 How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, Dave Thanks for having us And uh, thank you, The Hammer For inviting us yeah. out here on the show To talk about our book uh, We're excited to be here uh, We're excited <laughs> to see you, as always 
Yeah, yeah. Well, so why don't you give us a why don't you give us a give us a lowdown on your uh, book? I can't touch it yet because I'm soaking wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really crummy outside. Yeah, and you know what? You know what? New York, New York is like a choose your own crappy adventure when it rains. It's like, mm. you know, especially you being tall, you're gonna get poked in the eye by some idiot's umbrella. That's true. Chinatown is a dangerous place. Oh to my go god! On any day. Oh my god! And then like you know. Uh, there's construction everywhere in New York City all the time, but they put these like theoretically helpful things to stop like bricks from falling on your head, but they funnel you through these undrained things. Mm-hmm. So you're going a whole block under this thing with like a bunch of people with umbrellas, like get your umbrella out of my way, get your umbrella out of my way, get your umbrella out of my way, and then at the last minute, like there's a giant puddle that can't be jumped or forded or anything. And of course, I'm not wearing waterproof shoes, right? Uh, of course not. Uh, and so, but the lady in front of you just stops, like like there's an alternative. Lady, turn back or go. Turn back or go. You know what I'm saying? And then when you get to the platform after you wait for that lady to go, of course, you see the... You see that, that subway pulling away because of that extra five seconds that that lady stood there like a, like a cow looking at the... That, that. That's the thing. People in New York... Infuriating. People in New York are like cattle. Like, men and women walking around, cow-like, staring off into space, moving slowly. Mm. Right? Do you, yeah, yeah. Nastasia, you hate yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah, I hate it. Hate it. Hate Hate, hate, nothing. So no what did you do with the pole? No offense to cows. Straight through. I mean, what's the choice? I mean, I, I what I did was I like I, I one of my feet I'm gonna get wet, right? So I jump in and like the the first foot hits I'm like that's done because I'm wearing sneaks. You know what I mean? They're like totally porous. They're meant to breathe. They're not meant you know. And what's the, what's more fun, Mark? You know about this. What's more fun than walking around all day with a wet foot that never dries because uh, because it's you know raining out and humid? What's yeah. the what's the best part? Yeah, um, the fact that your foot will. Potentially never recover because I'm still suffering from the same uh, athlete's foot I had probably 30 years ago in my first episode. Wow. <laughs> I didn't think about the, the permanent. The permanent. I, I was thinking more of the sweet, sweet stench in the evening when you take off your, you know, like, you know, eight hours, nine hours, ten hours later when you finally get home, you peel that wet shoe off your foot. This is why I tell my son Booker socks, wear socks. New York is not a town for the sockless unless you're one of these hipsters in those sandal things. But if you wear sneakers, if you wear a fully encased foot, you should put socks on that thing. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yes, yes. You can always dudes. go with the Crocs, the porous uh, oh. confidence Crocs. Listen, Crocs, um, like. Mario Town so. coming in and talking to us about the Crocs. <laughs> Are you allowed any color of Croc, or do you have to go orange when you're over there at Del Posto? No, he has reserved the orange for himself. So what's yeah. the Del Posto color? Like a, like a nice uh, navy like blue? Like a black or blue, yeah. 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 What, do you, what do you rock, the blue or the black? Uh, I wear the uh, Brigard Slipper Clog. Ooh, is that the, yeah, with the, the black leather ones. one? With the, uh, with the nails in it? They come in black or white. But with the nails in the side. Yeah. That's pretty strong. They're, strong. Not, they're not wood, though. They're like slippers. So it's like you're cooking in your jammies. Exactly. Are you, should I buy you a silk chef's outfit? That would be sick. That would be awesome, like Sakai. <laughs> you imagine that? that? Really? Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Yeah. So I was talking to Jen, my wife, about this. I was like, you know, look. I was like, Dax. I was like, Dax. You know, like, my skin right now is fundamentally, it's sandpaper. If I touched a silk garment with my fingers, it would, like, be instantly shredded. You know what I mean? Like, all, like, the crusty, like, callus and everything. If it touched my face, it would just rip off and there'd be, like, you know, silk mess all over my face. At any second. The The very first Iron Chef I ever did with Mario... 
back uh, many years ago. We uh, we did a collaboration with Sakai, the Japanese uh, French uh, chef, and he had like silk pajamas on and these like uh, slipper clogs. The guy was like floating around Kitchen Stadium like he was Hugh Hefner or something. It was <laughs> so unbelievable. Awesome. So you have to shake yourself if you're going to do that, right? Yeah, it was and, never, and like sandpaper your hands. And he really he really showed us how it's done. Yeah, Jen told Dax he wasn't allowed to wear silk. She's like, you can't do it. I was like, what about silk jammies? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of getting a pair of silk jammies. I mean, anything feel better than a silk jammy? I couldn't afford it when I was a kid. I was like, my mom's like, you can have that like weird satin stuff. What was that stuff made out? It's like spun plastic, <laughs> silk. Most yeah, you know, real flammable back in the seventies. You know, <laughs> like in the seventies, they used to make kids' pajamas, especially to catch on fire. You know what I mean? Like that. That's one way to get rid of them. Anyway, okay, so uh, back to the book. Uh, Talk to me. Yeah, so it's you know it's a restaurant cookbook. Uh, Del Posto being a restaurant that's uh, going on, just entered its twelfth year, so we have quite a bit of material that uh, we wanted to cover. Uh, Michael and I have been spending the better part of God. I think the first conversation might have been as long as five years ago. So not with uh, me. But. Not with you. <laughs> uh, but it's been. Uh, I came on practically quite, last week. Like last quite, week. Quite a process and. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we chose some dishes that we felt strongly about, and the interesting thing is that Michael really encouraged us to create a book that was uh, approachable to the home cook, meaning uh, getting rid of some of that professional restaurant speak, and so we actually did it in a very unorthodox way. We uh, chose the dishes and photographed them first, and then spent close to two years going back and uh, deconstructing and re-engineering all the recipes so that they uh, contained, you know, sort of lay uh, home kitchen language, which uh, I guess the only uh, negative part of that is that the, it, it creates very, very long recipes because to... Long wording or like... Long yeah, wording, long yeah, words, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, and they take a long time too. Let's yeah. you know, let's not. Hey, these aren't gonna. These hey, aren't like quick my, night recipes, yeah. but they do work. They're so. broken into parts, and they our, are our, lengthy, our audience not scared. Our audience not scared by this. That's true. Yeah, actually, yeah. we're more scared about the questions they might ask us than them actually being able to complete the recipes. But uh, yeah, so they're incredibly thorough, and something that you probably don't see very often. And uh, we spent a tremendous amount of energy, you know. Uh, laboring over the language to make sure that it was understandable from people that were enthusiasts but not necessarily experts. So is 100-layer lasagna in there? Of course. Okay. Now let me add, uh, you know, that's like, like, what are your most, most famous, like you, you, sh- you show up at the restaurant, you get, one, the, yeah. you get the arancini with the, with the gold thing, yeah, right? Sure. Is that yeah. in there? Yeah, Marquesa, it's in there. Yeah. yeah. And then you got your 100-layer lasagna, yeah, yeah, you got your little... That's easy. What about like your, like, uh, your house pastas, are they in there? Like, uh, yeah, we have a couple different recipes. Your DP uh, coins, uh, what, yeah. what are those called? <laughs> I don't remember. We're, we're working this new one now that's actually little toys, so they're all different shapes, which is pretty interesting. Like what, like, uh, but like extruded shapes or like actual physical... No, they're like, stuffed, stuffed shapes, but like mix-match, misty kind of thing, yeah. Like... Donkeys and puppets. Like, like what kind <laughs> if of only, if only we had, uh, you know. Don't start three D printing pasta, Mark. We'll have people, to have a fist fight right here. People that nimble. If You'll only. beat me, I'm sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, where's the uh, Where's this uh, this uh, centrifuge? Now, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about. Let's I want talk to more see this it. thing, I, dude. You've Nastasia seen says you carried on your back like an infant. Is I, that true? I did last week. I, I brought it here because we had to go something. But like, I'm printing out. I'm printing out some. Uh, I'm. I'm um, Remaking the lid, so the centrifuge is designed to constantly feed new product in, 
So I, I had to print. So there's a thing called a feeder tube, part of the patented process of making the spinzol. <laughs> it's the reason why no one else can build the spinzol the way we can do it because we got a patent on it, patent pending. Anyway, so it's this <laughs> tube feeder that feeds the thing in, and um, that's what allows it to do continuous feeding. So I was uh, building a new a new tube system on the bottom to you know increase the clarity of continuous versus batch mode, and I did like I don't know I did like. Uh, Oh, like two and a half liters of strawberry in a row yesterday, and it was perfect. I actually took it to Oto. I was making uh, strawberry cordial for the uh, drinks that I was slinging at Oto yep, last night. Yep, yep. But uh, it leads me to uh, this. So, like, I'll just say, but we should talk about the book and then come back and talk about the sentence. <laughs> talk, about, talk, about, talk, about, uh, talk about it later. That's, 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 uh, that's about it. So it's, you know, broken down into chapters, uh, antipasti, primi, secundi. Uh, Dolce, there's an entire chapter just on gelato and sorbetti, which is unusual. And we have a question uh, about that, actually. I Really? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. You, you want to hear that question? Sure, I'd love to. All right. So, the, and didn't we have a question last week, Nastasia? But we answered it, right? Yeah, we theoretically answered it. But then do you, yeah. I'm hoping that Chef Ladner is going to be on the show this week. Well, you are in luck, Ellie. <laughs> um, I just received the Del Posto book this week and am enjoying it very much. What caught my eye are the gelato recipes. They use egg yolks but are not cooked. This seems peculiar. I like the word peculiar. You like the word mm-hmm, peculiar? Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this seems peculiar and I've never seen it before. Why? Do they uh, still thicken the mixture like a custard would? Are they left raw for texture or flavor? I'm looking forward to trying the recipes out soon, but would like to hear Dave and Mark's thoughts about this topic. Thanks, Ellie Nasser. Now, I have my own thoughts on this going way back from other, you know, from pastry chefs that I've yeah. known. One particular one. Uh, well, well uh, make Sam Mason, actually. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah um, anyway, go ahead. You give, give, your, give your yeah. spiel. Well, you know, uh, definitely... You know, most of these uh, recipes were at least uh, initially formulated by Brooks Headley, the uh, pasta genius, I mean the pastry genius now at uh, Spirit Burger. And then um, our current pastry chef, uh, uh, Justine McNeil, sort of completed the initial thought. But, um, you know, Brooks has always been a firm advocate of the hang and of the really chewy, viscous... Uh, texture, so that it uh, you know hangs around in your mouth a little longer. You can taste it a little uh, a little better. Um, you know you can really similar to mayonnaise. You know sometimes you're you're rolling the dice. You know? uh, I mean on uh, on the safety. Yeah, yeah, but what functionally? Why not cook it? Uh, graininess. So, Sam Mason. Uh, back when I first got to know him, after WD opened in like I don't know, like '03 or whenever it opened. Right around then, right? 0203, when I got to know him, uh, you know, I came to realize that he had a bunch of ice cream recipes where he wasn't cooking uh, the egg yolks, but it was still a custard base. It wasn't Philly style. Basically, no one in New York makes Philly style. Uh, none of the big restaurants I know do a Philly style ice cream, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. Even in a Paco Jet, you think someone would do a good Philly style ice cream. Maybe you can't. Maybe it overturns in a pot. I don't know. I haven't tried it. But anyway, uh, I love good Philly ice cream. You, do you like I it? I do, yes. Yeah. But it has to be super fresh. It has to be super fresh. Um, anyway, so I was like, yo, Sam, uh, why you don't cook your egg yolks? And he's like, I don't like the aroma and taste of the cooked egg, but I like the texture, the, the, the kind of like sm- the smooth uh, texture that the egg yolks bring. And so the, the deal with not cooking the egg yolks is what they're not going to bring is the thickness of a cooked creme anglaise. It's just not going to have that thickness. Um, that said, 
<laughs> the thicker you cook your creme anglaise, the more eggy it tastes. So you can't like win on that account. Like if you're trying to thicken up your uh, your anglaise base, and thickening an anglaise base is really good if you're going to serve it as a sauce, right? Or if you're really worried about meltdown. So like you know, a thicker anglaise base will do a slower meltdown than a thinner anglaise base. And you know, basically, all this is is creme. All these ice cream recipes is a flavored creme anglaise, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, but uh, the, the, what you pay for with that thickness is egg taste. And he hated it. He hated that egg taste. And you know what I'm talking about. If you, especially like for a pastry chef who cooks with eggs all day long, that residual egg nose that you get like after you wash out a stainless steel. You know when you wash out a stainless steel bane that's had eggs in it and you're like freaking that egg smell? You know what I mean? It's more like a Savion or a Hollandaise or something. Yeah, so like he, didn't, he didn't like it. So he didn't cook the eggs. And then later on, you know, um, he started pasteurizing the eggs low temp. So he would use pasteurized oh, yeah, yolks. Yeah. So they would still uh, be, they would be safe, but they uh, ish, but they wouldn't um, have that cooked note because you can take a, an egg yolk, you know, up to uh, fifty seven, pasteurize it for like an hour, and and it still is raw smelling. You know what I mean? It doesn't have that cooked kind of egg thing. Um, Michael, so, do you remember any of the conversations happening when we were developing these recipes related to the the yolks? Um, I remember I remember it being brought up as a potential safety issue, mm-hmm. um, and then we decided it probably really wasn't that it would be pretty rare that anyone that <clears throat> was cooking out of this book was going to have a safety issue with their eggs. But um, also, if it tastes too eggy, it doesn't taste Italian. I mean. There isn't like a there isn't any sort of inha- inherent egginess in Italian gelato. Right? Are, are your gelato recipes like you said? Brooks likes the chew. Are they heavily stabilized? Yeah. So that's like true Italian. So like there's all these like people who are like true Italian. No, true Italian gelato has stabilized to the freaking gills, yeah. right? Yeah. So you don't need the melt protection from a thick anglaise base when you are uh, if you're going to add uh, stabilizers. Yeah. One thing about adding stabilizers, obviously, depending on which stabilizers you use. You use is uh, that you need to uh, you need to punch the flavors up. I mean that's why like Italian flavors they're smooth but they're so punchy because they have to add so much flavor for that level of uh, of hit. Hey, you know what I want you to try? Dulls. You know what we should try sometime? Uh, maybe in the next week or so. Uh, it's not like commercial quantity like you couldn't do it in a restaurant, but. The paste that's left over in the... Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, Nastasia and I were talking about yeah. that on the train today. Yeah. yeah you take a centrifuge, oh you spin God, it, you get the paste, spin that so into an ice cream. Cool. It's got a, uh, It's got like a, a grainy like pumpkin pie texture, at least a peach that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so freaking smooth and dense because what mm-hmm. you do is you take your fruit, your fruit of choice, mm-hmm. you hit it with the pectinex, it wipes out... The, the the structure and everything. Well, and then it just oh, oh what the sweet potato is nuts. If we do the sweet, you even like the sweet potato puree. And Stasi hates everything. So the, the sweet potato puree. What you do with the sweet potatoes? You take the sweet potatoes, you cook it right, and then you um, just blend the hell out of it with the same enzymes that distillers use to do sacrification for their warts and stuff. And you get this hyper, and then you spin it to get rid of the liquids, right? And then you just have this like hyper uh, concentrated. Super sweet, no sugar added, sweet potato puree. Just add like a little cream to that mother and spin it. You want to do it? I'm sure the applications are just infinite. We can make those purees. We can make a small amount, like just in a KitchenAid, because you have LN over there uh, at Del Posto. It would be fun, right? Yeah. I mean, we'll do it. Uh, Tell people about it. But like, even just um, like uh, fruits, like um, strawberry and whatnot, like, you're just not used to having something that's 
so smooth but so high solids. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing, so high. For instance, I'll give you an example. So when I did, um, I did uh, 1.75, actually, I did 1.75 kilos of strawberries yesterday in a batch to do continuous mode on my centrifuge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got 13... I got 1,350 uh, mils of juice. So if you think about it, that's like 70... That's like 70-something percent yield, which means that the residuals that left over are solid. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. there's no there's no water. Yeah, I mean it's Zero. like I mean there's yeah, I mean like compared it's like compared to what an original strawberry was. So like anyway, it'd be fun to play with. And is that just like a Driscoll regular available commercial? Uh, you could say strawberry. garbage strawberry. Yes, yeah, it was a garbage that, strawberry. But it gar- still tastes good. Well, there are some advantages to garbage strawberries, and we could talk about that now. So uh, I'll get to. The, I'll say something about the spinzol. I should give the pitch, right? Because yeah, please. Nastasia is like we're all nervous about this. So listen. So for those of you that don't know, uh, we are pre-selling the spinzol. Should I give? I'll give it the spinzol. It's the only centrifuge designed specifically for the kitchen and bar. So we're pre-selling this thing. Uh, for six ninety nine. Make sure you check out the videos on Instagram. There, yeah, I'm going to put up some more. We have a bunch more videos uh, that we're going to put up. In fact, I'm going to Chef Steps uh, on Thursday. Tomorrow. I mean, on Wednesday, and uh, and then I guess maybe we're meeting with Kenji in San Francisco on Thursday. Try to push it out. We'll do a video on Facebook Live with Mm -hmm. the Chef Steps and show it. But what does Nastasia's Spinzol pitch sound like? Let's do it. No, I don't have it. Just buy it. Come on, Stas. Buy it. That's Nastasia right there. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll say this. So, like, the Spinzol does 500 milliliters at a time batch, which is more than most home people need for most applications they're doing. But it also does what's called continuous mode, where you just stick the pipe, uh, Mm -hmm. you stick a tube in it, it pumps it through, and just feeds it through and continuously operates it. And so, like, orange juice, you could probably do... You could probably do, like, I don't know, a gallon or two at a time uh, without stopping. And then what would you know to change the basket? It depends on the solids ratio. So for something like strawberries, I probably wouldn't do more than, like, uh, two, three, three liters maybe at a time because you don't want the solids to overflow the rotor. Um, But something like lime juice or grapefruit juice or orange juice, gallons, because there's not a lot of solids in there. Uh, So really everything depends on 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 what you're doing. Really, the best application, one of the best, I'll give you some applications for chefs. Let's forget the bar application. By the way, yeah. I will say this. Uh, you go to modernistpantry.com forward slash spinsall to pre-order it. Now, I want to say something to people so they get this. Uh, if you do not pre-order, if we do not sell a 1,000 of these pre-order, then we can't afford to build it, and we won't build it unless some angel comes in, which we don't expect, right? So if we don't sell a 1,000 of them, they just don't get made. I mean, that's it. Uh, and then I'm just left with that one prototype. Wah, wah. I call the people in China that Nastasia and I have been working with for two years on this project and tell them, you know what? Sorry, folks. We fold it up. We walk away. I mean, Jesus. that's unfortunately, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So if you don't order it, we won't build it. But here's one of the people. Someone came up to me. I'm not going to say who it is. It was Don Lee, uh, the <laughs> cocktail guy. Uh, and he goes up to me. He's like, hey, Dave. Hey, why didn't you just use Kickstarter? Why didn't you just Kickstart this? Why you got to use your own crowdfunding that's hey, not... Hey, hey, yo, hey, yo. Oh, that's... Wow. So Don doesn't talk like that, by the way. Uh, but the point is, is here's the reason, one of the reasons why. With Kickstarter, part of it was... Uh, Nastasia, I mean, to be honest, Nastasia hates Kickstarter, but uh, like, but she hates everything. She hates biscuits. Like, that's going to stop me from making biscuits, right? But the, the point is, uh, 
we're really taking the risk on ourselves, and this is what I think is not clear. With a Kickstarter, if you if the campaign gets funded, you all of your money is gone into a hole, and then you either get the product or you don't. What, you know. You know, depending on whether or not the people who are making it are competent, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, that money is gone. You can't get it back. That's part of the thing about Kickstarter. One of the reasons we did this is we didn't want people to feel like they were taking a risk. It's one of the weird kind of incorrect pe- notions that people have about. They feel safer on Kickstarter yeah. somehow because yeah, it's because yeah. oh, I know about Kickstarter, right? So they feel safer on it, even though literally as soon as that campaign is over, your money goes into a pit. That may or may not, and you may or may not ever get your reward. Well, the other misconception is that money gained, uh, earned on Kickstarter is free money, which is most certainly which is, is not. Which is not. But in our campaign, you can get a refund up till, the, up till the very point at which we ship you the unit. So there is zero risk to uh, pledge in the Spinzall campaign. Zero risk. So you pledge now. What you're telling us is that I'm gonna want, we're going to spend the money, right, because we need to build the, the Spinzalls. But at some point, you're like, you know what? Uh, I don't, it turns out I hate awesome things. It turns out that, like, <laughs> it turns out I am an enemy of quality after all. And, uh, you know, uh, you could be like, you know what, Dave? You know what, Nastasia? I want my money back. And we're like, okay, fine. Boom. Here's your money back. And that's one of the main reasons we did it is that the risk the risk is on us. So you should feel, like, super uh, safe going out there and, uh, and, and getting it. Anyway, uh, and remember, you don't, you don't buy it, we don't build it. So what are some of the other applications aside from bar programs? Right. So it, like so what Rennie Redzepi did I tell you about the thing with like everyone who's chasing stars? We're like back in the day Michelin stars. Or anything. But the thing is does he does he what does he have? Does he have two or three at Noma? I believe like, he has two. He has two, but yeah, but he's got like the Pellegrino, like he yeah, was like yeah. the top restaurant in the universe, which you know I hate all those ratings, right? I detest them. They're stupid. They make no, I mean, oh, unless we have one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but exactly. like, you know what I'm saying? It's That's like true. the That's idea true. of the, I mean, like I like anything that helps my, uh, the people I know or good people like get more business. I'm for people getting business and if, if like awards and like accolades like this are what it takes for people to go to someone's restaurant who works hard, great. You know what I mean? Anyway. I think it does. It helps. It helps, yeah. I mean, like, I wish that wasn't what helped, but it does. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. I'm glad when, you know, my friends get these things. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, Fabulous and uh, Jeremiah got their first Michelin star recently. Well deserved. Yeah. 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 At uh, Contra. Really well. Contra got the star, right? Yes, Contra. Yeah. Although, uh, while they are deserved one as well. Yeah, because, I mean, they're, they're joined kitchens, basically. They share, they're, like, not joined, but, like, there's a, just one wall between them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, not talking about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Proteges of yours, though. What? Proteges. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, wait. Renny Redzepi. So Renny, we used to, Nastasi and I, when like someone was like trying to get all those awards, we'd be like, and we didn't think that someone was going to get it, we'd be like, yo, wake up and smell the Redzepi. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's like, you know, hey, buddy, you're not going to get there. You're not going to be Renny Redzepi. Wake up and smell it. You know what I mean? Just be yourself. Anyway, uh... Anyway, so the uh, that's neither here nor there. So uh, uh, Ariel um, Johnson, who was at the Nordic Food Lab for many years before she moved to MIT recently, uh, she said that one of the main things that they do in the centrifuge is herb oils. Mm-hmm. So, but they they do yeah. crazy herb oils. So, like I asked her, they do like almost like one to one herb to uh, herb to oil. So it's it's like 
pesto thick, yeah. right? And then they spin Jesus. the solids off. So, like, I don't do it that thick because I think it's kind of absurd. And I'm not, like, you know, I'm not trying to. But we'll do, like, I'll do, like, two, two to one. So it's basically pesto. Uh, you know. You take all the water out and it's super stable. Yes. So what you do is is you blend. You can like in the in the in the spins all. You can blend any oil batch that has up to about four hundred uh, grams of herb. Like its its sweet spot is around like two or three like three hundred grams of herb, and then um, you know the balance uh, oil. But it can be any amount of oil you want. It doesn't have to be within the five hundred. And then uh, you add like so you just subtract out the weight of the rotor. So let's say you use four hundred grams of herb. Uh, you take like 75 grams of water, put it right in the spinzol, start it, and then feed the oil in. All the water goes into the rotor, and you get this pure, intense, green, highly stable uh, herb oil with no water in it. And it's like you can't possibly make this herb oil without a centrifuge unless you sit there and you twist, a, a, you know, like one of those fine bags, and you get like three drops. You're not going to get any yield. We get, we get something like... 80% of the oil back. So it's like wow. like super awesome. And so uh, I did a pasta actually with uh, I did a I did a basil oil and a parsley oil and mixed them and just because my kids are like my kids are like I don't want any uh, like herbs in my in my pasta, but I love that kind of fresh parsley or fresh basil thing. So just toss the oil in, yeah, did it with the finishing oil, toss it off at that, and they were like, they didn't complain because they actually don't dislike the taste. They dislike the idea of a of a, of a leaf, green leaf, yeah, in their in their that's common. product. That's common. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so uh, that's good. I really like uh, again, maybe not for restaurants, but I really like centrifuge butter. Wiley used to make centrifuge butter because it's yeah, we're, we're really excited about. It seeing that today but we couldn't find any cream in any of these and hipster stores out here well I'll come to Del Posto's like uh, when I get back maybe like I, like, I don't know what your schedule is I'll come yeah. back maybe next week when, I, when I'm back sounds great yeah, the, the butter is good uh, another classic chef one I'll tell you so you take a fruit right and uh, let's say you want to make a really reduced uh, puree uh, really reduced like fruit thing this is what I brought so like the, the garbage strawberries I, I had yesterday what's good about them is they're relatively low bricks which means if you uh, they have l- low sugar and the good news about that is is that you can boil it way the hell down before the temperature gets too high so it stays pretty close to the regular boiling point uh, so it doesn't get brown notes and you can reduce it way down and then dope and it the won't sugar caramelize. Well, no yeah right and then at the end you hit the sugar back in to balance out the acid because a garbage strawberry is low bricks high okay. acid but i didn't reduce it enough but yeah you could try it i didn't reduce enough i could have gone twice as much but you can't reduce strawberry puree with pectin in it right so, okay. so I only reduced this by like twice. I could have done it by like four, and hit, you know, and hit it with uh, with some sugar. But or you could hit it with a hydrocolloid. Kind of tastes like shit, Dave. You don't like it? No, I'm kidding. Really? Tastes really good. I mean, it's good, right? Yeah. I mean, but you could have reduced it like it's like jam almost. But anyway, so like it's re- really fruity. It's really bright. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Yeah. So like, uh, but I could have, like I say, reduced it by another. Like, if I had taken. Literally, I was like, I thought about this as I was walking out the door. I was already late, so I put my widest fry pan on my stove, cranked <laughs> it, dumped the, the strawberry, and was like, like tried to take it as fast as I could. And then, like as I knew I was gonna, well, I, in fact, I missed that subway, the one that would get me here on time. I poured it into that container, took a couple spoonfuls of sugar, was like, sugar getting cane. But and there's no there's no residual flavors from the enzymes or oh zero. You're using like you're using like zero point like zero point two to zero point four percent. They have a vaguely kind of a ferment, uh, fermented aroma, but they're, you know, and this one only uses one enzyme anyway. Also, the color is so brilliant. Right? It's incredible. 
Dave, did you say what the size of the device is of the spins all? It's about the size of a food processor. Here's the thing. If you look, here's the other thing, right? Let's say, let's say you want to have a centrifuge in your restaurant or bar, right? What are you going to do? You're going to invest $8,000 on something that takes up half of your prep area? No. That requires training for someone to balance it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Because here's the other thing. Let's say you could afford it, right? Now, Mark, what's the worst thing that happens when you're relying on a piece of equipment? Some knucklehead goes and tries to use it when they're not qualified. And, and they, they, and they break, break it. And they break it. Then you're out two things. You're out the money, and all of a sudden, you're 86 on all the products that yeah, use exactly. it. exactly. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, you can't make it on another way, right? Right. So you have two or three Vita preps. so when a knucklehead breaks the Vita prep, which invariably happens... That's exactly what we do. Yeah, you have another Vita prep there. Yeah. So the good thing here is you can test out to see whether you like having a centrifuge, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could get a backup because they're so cheap compared to, like, the big size centrifuge. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, that's... Because I think that, like, when I was thinking about it, like, one of the main... Um, aside from the size and the cost, is just the lack of backup. I was so nervous. Like at the, I always had two centrifuges, real ones, big ones, at Booker mm-hmm. and Dax because mm-hmm. I needed them. Mm-hmm. And when one died and we were down to one, I, like, I, fl- I was fl- constantly on edge that it was going to die. It, in fact, did die, and I had to run borrow Wiley's centrifuge. Uh, and so like I borrowed his centrifuge, but it's a real kind of a nightmare to be so dependent on such a large, uh, you know, 300 pound thing that costs you know eight grand it's very and a lot of your production is coming out of it yeah I mean like well some 80% of our menu had something that's gone through the centrifuge like not necessarily like huge quantity but like all the clarified citrus all the um, you know all those things so and some of that stuff won't take the carbonation properly if it's not clear oh none of it none of yeah. it you need to clarify everything that you're going to carbonate especially you're going to pre-carbonate I mean if you're going to squeeze a lime into something afterwards I mean fine but you know mm-hmm. if anything you're going to pre-carb you need that uh, you know, and plus, I just enjoy clear That's things. Terrific. Anyways, so those are like, uh, you know. So, for example, at your new bar, how many of these spinzels would you perhaps have on premise? Uh, four. 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 Because mm-hmm. what if you have four that matches the actual like real time capacity of the big centrifuge, but you could task it with four different products, or you could do continuous. So, if you have four mm-hmm. spinzels, you have the actual like real time. Um, it's actually faster because they clarify faster than a normal centrifuge because they have less distance to go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're actually at a faster throughput with four uh, four spinzols than you are with one uh, $10,000. And, and like, you don't have to worry about the balancing. No balancing. Yeah, you can run the product separately. You can open it. You can look at it while it's running. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah. – uh, I mean that, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to buy – when when we reopen, which by the way I'm looking at space, you know, uh, but when we reopen, it won't be called Booker and Dax though, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I don't know what's going to be called. What do you, do you have any good bar names? Mm, I don't know. What was what did you say the Arnold name means again? Uh, I I uh, I uh, what's it called? What's that called? I fo- I focused on some of the people at the bar last night. Uh, Eagle Power, and they're like, no. no. <laughs> I was like, I was like, here's how it works. Here's where Eagle Power is, right? So you walk into whatever the actual bar name is, right? Whatever it is, right? Uh, what do you think about Rochambeau? <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so you you walk into Rochambeau and you're like, I want to go to Eagle Power, and they we take you downstairs into like a little like boiler room thing with just one seat, and like you are at the Eagle Power bar, <laughs> like that's it, that's it. You are Eagle Power, or uh, alternatively, we just like clear your service. So you know how when you walk in, like we give you the glass, we give you the everything, right? You just say, 
Eagle Power. And we clear your service and your menu, hand you like a special service and the Eagle Power, and we put like a box around you. So you are in the Eagle <laughs> Power zone there. Uh, the other, the other uh, specialty bar, because we could have multiples if, if, you know, creamy tins. Because I have so many recipes with like cream syrups and you're like creamy tins. Because that's a bartender's worst nightmare. Yes. Is creamy, creamy tins. Worst. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, should we take a break? Yeah. Well, let's take a break. Come back with more uh, Del Posto and cooking issues. This episode is brought to you by Juul, the immersion circulator for sous vide by Chef Steps. If you're listening to this show, you're probably a pretty good cook. Maybe you already know that sous vide is the best way to get a kick-ass, juicy steak. And with Juul, a new sous vide tool from Chef Steps, you can do so much more. Smoky tender ribs, homemade yogurt, creme brulee, bright, crunchy pickles, vibrant purees, even smooth, creamy ice cream, all perfectly cooked every time. Juul is sleek and small enough to fit in your kitchen drawer, and it's operated by an elegant smartphone app that's been designed to remove the guesswork, get you cooking faster, and give you the information and inspiration you want when you want it. Browse Chef Step's amazing recipes and helpful guides. Choose your perfect doneness for any meat and get notified when your food is ready. You know you'll get great results so you can focus on sides and sauces or just pour yourself a cocktail and chill until you're ready for a delicious dinner. For more information and to order yours now, visit chefsteps.com slash J-O-U-L-E. And we are back. So, um... Actually, Mark, you saw us use the spins all right live. I did. Yeah, Fun. yeah. I was super impressed because I'd seen uh, just video of some of the earlier prototypes, and the thing looked like it was going to take off to Mars. I was scared for your life yeah, yeah. trying to operate that thing. But this other one is like really tame. It's quiet. It's like the spin is uh, is like a, a pleasant uh, noise. Yeah, and you you value. Uh, some quality. sort of calm in the kitchen. Quality. Yeah, quality. 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 You're, you're, quality. you're a com, you're a com, you're a calm cook, right? I mean, you're you're oh, yeah. you're you you get when things go wrong, you get sad, right? Not like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like oh, the food. No, I throw tantrums from now, really? you know, now and then. I now picture now you now. more as the. It takes too much energy. Yeah, I picture you more as the sad, the like oh, operate. you've hurt the food years ago. You hurt the food. <laughs> Why did you hurt the food? Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, my, my, my general philosophy is to remove variable for error from the equation prior to service so that when you're in service, you can just go. And are most right? of the times those variables for error the cooks? I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. Uh, no, no, not, not our cooks. No, no. My, your, I've met yeah. a bunch of your cooks. Your cooks are fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. How many do you have? Eight million? Uh, yeah, quite a few. Like, seriously, how many people work? Many dozens. Many dozens. It's, but you, like over a hundred people work there, right? Two hundred. Two hundred, yeah. yeah. Two hundred people work there, and you have what? Eight thousand like seats. Sixty in the kitchen. Yeah, you have eight thousand seats. How many seats uh, do you have? Four hundred seats. Come on, really? Yeah. Four hundred seats. Yep. That's like that's like a high school. It's big. Yeah, yeah. like a whole high school could have their graduation if they had the money. The whole high school could have their graduation party it's there. It's 24,000 square feet. So it could actually be many more seats. So I'm actually considering myself fortunate to only have 400. Yeah, so also, like, uh, I was thinking about this the other day because, uh, and we've talked about this. Remember WD-50? Of course I do. Uh, Wiley's Restaurant. Uh, Wiley's Restaurant uh, was, kitchen-wise, a cook's paradise. It was. It was. Crazy. It was. Like, his ratio of, uh, of uh, back to front of house, mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, like, a kitchen that luxurious will never be replicated again. Mm-hmm. But then your kitchen is pretty freaking luxurious. I mean, you have... It is. 
I mean, but you do a lot of you do like a, a lot of work in there. It doesn't necessarily go out to the floor, right? Or do you, is it just very luxurious? I mean, you just have like a super luxurious. The the the, the actual story that probably most people don't don't know about was that one time I took a walk with Mario early on during the demolition phase before the construction actually started, and he simply took a look at the room and took his orange clog and drew an imaginary line and said, no dining room past this point. Um, and that's how the kitchen that's how was, was and, you're, and you're like, what am I going to do with all this space? He's like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so what is it like just move. basically... Like not having to like, not having to be in kind of crushing evil death for kitchen. What's that like? It's 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 palatial. I mean, that's one of the things that I realized. Uh, you know, before I accepted the the position was that, you know, if I'm going to be working in this profession as a chef, I'm going to be working many hours and I'm going to be toiling away, and I might as well be in a nice, nice environment. Um, it's it's bigger than than it than it needs to be. And I don't think all of the necessarily all the young cooks really appreciate what that what that means and what reality is like because it's it's not reality. Um, but we just try to be sort of you know gracious about it and not take it for granted. And uh, yeah, we're we're lucky. I mean, assuming you can do your numbers on the front of the house because you have more than enough space, right, for yeah. what you want to yes. do. So assuming that like, and I guess the bigger your space is, the lower the rent per square foot is probably right. So assuming you can juggle the numbers. Do you think that having an, a really nice, in other words, like pleasant kitchen, it makes the restaurant more sustainable because you have less turnover? No. You have the same turnover, you think? You don't think they appreciate it? That no. I don't think it matters. You get a lot of people who leave and they're like, man, I wish I hadn't left, and they come back? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah? Actually, that happens quite a bit, which is pretty great. I love that. And do you, uh, do you then punish them for having left? <laughs> no, I mean, we also treat our people well. You know, we believe in a new sort of world order of altruistic business and uh, personnel management, you know, so we treat people well. Have you met your girlfriend, Nastasia? <laughs> yeah. 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 She's the enemy of altruism. It is not true. No, she's, it's not that, she, no, look, let's be, let's be fair to Nastasia. It's not that she, it's, that's not it, it's that she just enjoys Stirring the pot so much that she can't—that's true. She can't stand. That is true. Like a lack of strife. Yeah. If there's no strife, she's not happy. Yeah. Peter yeah. Kim from Museum of Food and Drink mm -hmm. has term, uh, coined a term for you. You familiar with it? I don't think so. Stasenfreude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a good one. Yeah. It's a genius term, it works right? Works so well. Yeah. Did yeah. get to that. Get, oh, yes, okay. So, uh, you know, since I feel like we're on freaking NPR, we're just asking people for money con freaking constantly. Constant. Buy my spins all. Buy the, buy, buy, you should buy the Del Posto book. Not a, big, not a big investment. How much does it cost? 50 bucks. And you but get how it much right is away. It? You can get it way cheaper. Though. How much is it on Amazon? Uh, like 25 maybe. Really? No, it's like 40 Really? 40 Yeah. They only cut you 10 bucks, huh? Yeah. I'm sure you, you feel can get it for like 12 bucks at the Strand. No, Strand, listen, 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 listen. Nastasia and I, we've gone. They, they sold all the ones they had. Listen, listen. The, uh, listen. Uh, the Strand used to be a freaking mecca. I still go. Yeah. I, I love going and like looking at it. But in this internet era, it used to be that everything at the Strand was half off, basically. You know what I mean? Even new stuff was like half off. And like they would take old books and they would mark it half off of what it cost in like 1963. And so I would pick up. I bought. I like my. Uh, you know the. Um, 
um, my old Larousse, my old uh, Pelprat, you know, the, uh, the old like Pelprat uh, French, the classic French one. I picked up my uh, 70s edition there for nothing, five bucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, as the Internet started creeping in and as price checking happened, as all these, their prices actually creeped up. So they it's probably got a rent increase. So. I don't know, man. You don't think they own that building? I mean, they must own that building. My point is is that it's not the bargain that it used to be. I still love going there. I used to like more going there when it was so piss hot in the summer because it wasn't air-conditioned back in the day. And the employees would almost, like, like shoot you as soon as talk to you because it was just so freaking hot. Everyone was just dripping, and it smelled like hot, wet, humid book all summer. And what I liked about it is there was no people there. And you know how I like... You know how I hate dealing with you know people. So I was like, you know, I uh, you know, cows. I love it. Yeah, that's freaking. Get out of my way. I'm trying to look at books. Get out of my way. You know what I mean? You want to hate anyway? I'm not going to get into this. So the uh, yeah, I'm like, you know, dude, I'm looking. Get away. You know what I mean? Or like the you know what I hate also. This is another one. I hate when like you're being quick and you're not really in the way, and the person gives you the excuse me. If there's an excuse me because they, they don't want to touch you, whatever, but they're like, excuse me, I need... You know what I mean? Like, no, no, I'm also doing this. By the way, I I am getting so much uh, meaner in the kitchen, I've found, over the years because uh, I've taken the same attitude with uh, my family that I take with, like, any anyone when I'm in even a regular kitchen. And I've just realized at Thanksgiving... Oh, we got to talk about Thanksgiving. I just realized at Thanksgiving that... Um, why they think I'm a jerk because when you're in a kitchen and you say excuse me what that means is or or um, you know excuse me what that means is I'm about to continue walking through you unless you move it doesn't mean I'm going to wait for you to move out of my way it means this tray of stuff is is headed in a straight line and if you're in that line you're going to get shouldered like even if it's your family, that's what it means. That's what "excuse me" means in the context of a kitchen. Am I right about this, Mark? It's not rude. It's not. It's not about politeness. behind you or beside you or. Well, yeah, but like they don't even understand. But like, we used to smack people on the ass, but you can't do that anymore. Oh, exchange. Yeah, I know. Anyway, but but you get my point. I told you about the guy. I met a guy who almost died. This is another thing. Going back to the stupid bro crap in the kitchen that we we're talking about last week. I hate the 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 spoon to the nuts trick. I don't like. You know what? That's terrible. I hate it. I've always hated it. Uh, first of all, it hurts like hell, and I like I, I, I don't I don't like I don't, I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like uh, I don't you know I, like I, I I'm okay with like a nice pat pat on the shoulder. It's, like an, it's assault. It is, it really a, a, is a pat on the shoulder, but like the whole like g- grabbing someone's junk from underneath, from behind, or the hitting with the spoon. So I met a guy who got uh, spooned in the nuts and got an infection got blood poisoning and almost died as a result of yeah from a spoon a spoon hit to the nuts and it's just it's just you know if you weren't going to get rid of the bro stuff in the kitchen to make it like a a decent place to work for women like do it for your own nuts (laughs) you know what i mean like the the nut you save may be your own i don't see that stuff happening so much anymore well good yeah it's stupid it's stupid it's also like being constantly on edge that you're about to get hit in the nuts with a spoon when you're trying to work is not conducive to uh, good uh, work. You know what I mean? It's true. How do we get to this? <laughs> no, uh, be the thing. Oh, yeah, did yeah. You, did you do the charity bus no. thing yet? Oh, come on. No, all right, all right. So uh, this is over. Dave, when's this over, this thing? Thursday at 3. What's the website, Dave? Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, the URL is... And not, not, a Dave, not a Dave Arnold 3, like like 3 on the dot. 3.02 yeah. p.m. Eastern time. 
It's charitybuzz.com. Wait, that's a long URL. Oh, Jeebus. Hold on. Oh, God. All right, well, it's... Well, Charitybuzz.com slash support slash heritage radio. You want to throw any asterisks and, like, numbers? That's like it. dash that's one, it. two, three, dash nine? I'll All say right. it one more time. All Charitybuzz.com slash support slash heritage radio. I mean, it ain't no miner's pantry slash spins all in terms of tripping off the tongue. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Anyway. Uh, the, uh, but, like, here's what you're going to get. So, uh, Nastasia and I have uh, apparently donated this. Uh... This is what you get. Uh, your experience will take place on a mutually agreed upon date between December 1st, 2016 and December 1st, 2017. Experience will occur on a mutually agreed upon Tuesday. Uh, this is valid for one person and uh, has an approximate duration of three hours. This is a private meet and greet. The winner may take a photo. Of course the winner can take a freaking photo. <laughs> Nastasi, why don't you just tell them, what do they get? You get to go on the radio show with us and then you get to eat lunch with us. It makes a lot of sense. All this... Cost yeah. of the meals included. The experience cannot be resold or re-auctioned. I mean, please. Was that the really going to happen? The estimated value is $5,000. What? We have one bid for 500 Yeah, that's... Getting uh, there. Yeah, yeah, 10%. All right. Whatever. That's a lot. Just to come on the radio show? Yeah. Really? And, and have lunch with you. If that's the value. <laughs> if only I told my kids, you know what? <laughs> you should sit and finish your lunch. You know why? This is this is five thousand bucks that you're throwing away right here. Anyway, go on, donate some stuff. On a Tuesday. Stuff. On a Tuesday. <laughs> on a Tuesday. Lunch on a Tuesday. The most expensive pizza you will ever buy is uh, to come eat with Astasia and I. So anyway, so back to uh, what we're talking kitchens. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Yeah, we don't have that much time. Okay. Well, 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 let me let me do this question real quick. From Tom Fisher in Philly. Last summer in 2015, I spent about a month making large amounts of clarified strawberry and raspberry juice in my centrifuge and stored it. Not in a spinzol though. That wasn't a spinzol. Uh, and stored it in my refrigerator in my garage, intending to make syrup later. I made the strawberry syrup, but never got around to making the raspberry. Imagine my surprise when today I found about two liters of raspberry juice at the back of that fridge. It's still crystal clear and smells delicious. The question is, delicious, delicious. The question is, is it safe? You see the Marathon Man, the movie The Marathon Man? Great movie. Is it safe? Is it safe? Remember that? Awesome. Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman and, uh, oh my God, his name went out of my head. The, uh, the, the is it safe guy, the dentist. Oh my God, crazy. I'm losing my mind. It's not, it's like, gone. You're not losing. Lost. Uh, it's still crystal clear and smells delicious. Delicious. Gosh. The question is, is it safe? Given how many raspberries it took to make that much juice, I'm hesitant to just throw it away. Drink that sucker. What you have is raspberry wine, my friend. If you've sealed it well enough, it'll probably be carbonated and you'll probably see a yeast layer at the bottom. But I've had OJ that I've left in my fridge for months and months just to let it ripen up, and that stuff is good. The soda it, that you make is amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it won't so kill you. Good. It won't kill you. So, I mean, look, uh, if you're if you uh, if you reply next week that it was delicious, I'm assuming that I was right and you didn't die. <laughs> but I'm just saying that I will I, I would eat it if I were you. So, what what uh, Mark? What did you do on the Thanksgiving? Uh, I I went to uh, Boston and saw my family and enjoyed someone else cooking for Thanksgiving. Good. How, how overcooked was the turkey? Uh, it was it was overcooked. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I brought with me though uh, to save the day one of those M Wells tortillers. Do you know these things? No. That Hugh and Sarah make no. the brightest with the uh, what is it, like cranberry hot? ketchup. Oh it's yeah. It's like this Canadian uh, uh, meat pie. Oh, I like with meat lots pie. Lots of offal and lots of lard in the crust and Sounds obscene. Good. Sounds Best good. thing ever. Yeah. St- Stars, your Thanksgiving? Portland with my brother and my family. How was the turkey? It was good, actually. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah. Michael, you? South Coast, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah? What turkey you... was good. Yeah? Yeah. What style of stuffing do they make there? You don't, you're not some sort of weird oyster stuffing person, are you? No. Just like celery, 
bread, onions. Sausage in that thing? No. Nope. Whoa, no sausage in your stuffing? No. Sausage in your stuffing, Mark? No, sir. Stas, sausage and stuffing? Stas is like, yeah, American, hello. But by the way, uh, while, while I'm telling you what I did, I want you guys to think on this. Are we the country of gravy? Is there any other country that makes American-style awesome gravy? I'm not talking about, like, Sunday gravy for you Massachusetts people, uh, you know, Italian, like, gravy, which is actually sauce. But does anyone make American-style I want to call it kind of God's gravy. Gravy. Real gravy. Anyway, while you're thinking about that, uh, here's what I did. This maybe was the smoothest without a hitch uh, Thanksgiving ever. What I did was I bought three 14 to 16 pound turkeys instead of one giant one. I took two of them, boned them out, cut uh, I cut them all into chicken sized pieces. So uh, I also then I uh, I cooked the I salted them down and cooked them in uh, like milk milk small amount of milk and sugar under vac till they were cooked. Pulled them, ripped the tendons out of the leg pieces, and so now we're all boneless except for the thing. It took them out hot, let them flash off on uh, racks so that the skins got real nice and dry. And then uh, I buttermilk breaded them like like chicken fried turkey pieces. Then I took the other turkey that was left whole because you need to present a whole bird, and but it was only like 14 or 15 pounds, so it's easy. Let it air dry for like uh, well, first I, when I took all the bones that I ripped out of the other birds, I hacked them up, cooked them in the uh, you know roasted them, made a double. Uh, uh, pressure cooker stock, so one half the bones started with chicken stock, one half the bones, boom, vent, boom, another one, boom, added, you know, freshened up the uh, the veg in that, and then took some of that, injected that, added a little salt, injected that into the whole bird, into the breast, wow, so nice. brining it with its own, you know, with its own yeah, kind, yeah, you know, yeah. cannibal brine, yeah. and then uh, let that air dry for a couple of hours, turn the other stuff back into gravy with the roux. Uh, I misjudged a little bit how much roux, so I had to add some bourbon at the end. You know what I mean? Sorry about that. Anyway, so then I had the chicken. Fr- so then I, I deep fried at a lower temperature the whole bird in my commercial deep fryer outside with propane. Deep fried that whole bird till it was done, you know, and then pulled that. And then while that was resting at the table, did all the like cranked the temperature and did all the pre-cooked uh, chicken fried turkey. And then pulled it out. So we had this giant table full of uh, freaking um, yeah, turkey, a lot of turkey. I can only imagine the uh, turkey frying explosion you could be uh, responsible for. That's why I air dried it. so awesome. Yeah, I air, air the trick with the, first of all, with any bird that you're going to fry, whole fry, I think a lot of the mistake people make is they dry it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you get really kind of nightmare scenarios. And the other thing is that when you're frying in a commercial deep fryer as opposed to in one of those, uh, the, the problem with the, 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 the um, the turkey fryers that they sell you where you're cooking in those five-gallon uh, jugs and you go down is that it orients the turkey such that if you have any moisture on the inside, you create a fountain. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of the reasons they overfill the oil and they get this, like, boiling fountain effect coming through the center of the turkey yeah. and it overflows. And, and miscalculate the, the um, displacement. Yeah. Of oil, right? Yeah. Whereas in a commercial deep fryer, you're going horizontally, so you still get some foam up, but it's not like it's not a big deal. You know, in fact, the top of the breast was out a little bit, so we were doing we were ladling ladling over the top to get it done, which is actually not bad because that part of meat you don't want overcooked anyway. So back mm-hmm. to the gravy question: Does anyone do gravy the way we do gravy? I don't know. Is it like a Creole thing? Did it come from New Orleans? I don't know. But it's like, I mean, they like their roux for sure. Yeah, now, Nastasia, if you don't like gravy, that might be the end. Do you like gravy? <laughs> really? Oh my freaking god! Oh my freaking god! Oh. What do you like, Nastasia? I like lots of things. I don't like. I don't. 
like gravy. Do you like mashed potatoes? Yes, no gravy. I bu- <laughs> but, but thank God, I'm sure Mark puts enough butter and cream to kill uh, five I horses. Do. I do. Wait, are you an anti-cream in your mashed potatoes guy, Mark? No, I think dairy is helpful. No, but like, so I know some people, I'm not going to mention them, Wiley, yeah. who is like, butter only. I don't want to add any liquid to my potatoes. I want to add all of the viscosity yeah, with butter, helps. Robuchon style. It helps. But I like cream in my... Emulsion. I like the cream in it, yeah. I bought a... Milk or... Yeah. I hate food mills, yeah. by the way. I, I, really? Yeah, I hate for, them. For potatoes. For potatoes. I detest them. I hate them. JJ, who used to work for uh, Wiley, uh, is now doing Ando. He, when uh, a couple of years ago, he was cooking a feast with his mom. His mom handed him a food mill. He opened the door to her house and threw the food <laughs> mill out into the, I am convinced. So food mill, this is, food mill is the, one of the biggest enemies of quality that's out there uh, in terms of your life. I don't think there's any cook who likes food no, mills that uses true. them. No, it's not true. you have cooks that will use the food mill for you. When was the last time you sit there and like took the food mill and you're cranking it and you're cranking it and there's only that tiny freaking wedge that works and it gets it gets clogged and then you have to back it up every two seconds. It takes 18,000 years. You're scalding your knuckles. The bowl's sliding around. It's garbage. It's garbage. It's garbage. And I know they use it at Del Posto every freaking day because I was talking to your cooks at Oto last week. Not for week. starch, though. No, but for, for tomatoes, tomatoes. They make tomatoes. tomato strainers, dude. It's like no, nah, it's not the same. Wait, you're telling me that your cooks putting the tomatoes through a tomato uh, through a food mill is better than one of those mechanical like KitchenAid tomato strainers or the large version of it? Oh, I don't know what that is. I tell you what it is. It's a lot freaking easier to use than a food mill. Well, I have to get one. Well, what else are they going to do? There's like sixty of them. They got to do something. That's true. It's, <laughs> it's like, I, anyway, I hate food mills. I think anyone that actually has to use them hate them. So I bought a really good ricer. I bought because I you know I've told you this I, I I like potatoes in a ricer. Some people don't okay, like that's them. What I do. Rice I love rice. I love rice potato because it, it, you're gonna break up those little rice pellets as you stir, but it like maintains as much texture as you want. I think I love the rice. Get like a last. I don't know. There's something about it that's just right with the ricer. The problem is I've broken every single ricer I've ever used mm-hmm. because I'm just like like a an, like I'm an animal somehow on equipment. Like a, it's not that I'm physically strong, but I can break anything, especially if there's a lever arm on it. So I bought the. I've seen you take down a tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I I bought the cast aluminum one because I thought it wasn't going to bend. And so far, Nor, Norpro, yeah, they, Norpro makes a stainless one, but someone was like, I bought the stainless one and it bent. So I was like, I'm going to go with the cast one. If it breaks, I'll go get the stainless steel one. So uh, you want me, on the way out, you want me to tell you my, my pota- how I did the potatoes this year? All right. So what I love, the way I break my ricers is I cook the potatoes. I, ro- I you know, I roast the potatoes in their jackets, right? And then I rice them whole. Then I save the squashed skins and I fry them up as a leftover. Nice. Right? Yeah, that's good. But it's a huge pain in the ass and you have to cut all these hot potatoes and like nightmare and all this. So this year what I did was I peeled all the potatoes like standard, foil wrapped them, threw them in the oven, baked them so they wouldn't take on any extra water. And you could do a mm-hmm. long bake without them breaking apart. Then all you had to do is like quick snap the foil off and throw them in the ricer. Boom, 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 boom. And you never had to clean out your ricer because it didn't have the, all of those skins on the sure, inside. So that was my that was my skizzle's trick on the potatoes. Huh. Anyway, that was, uh, yeah, that was Thanksgiving good. in my house. Thanks to Michael and Chef Mark Ladner for coming in and talking marginally. I could, I, it's like pulling teeth getting you guys to talk about your cookbook. <laughs> Go buy the freaking cookbook. Learn how to make the fabulous 100-layer lasagna. Oh, on the way out, uh, here's what I didn't ask you. So you rejiggered all the, the, all the talk and the way the, yes. the recipes are organized yes. For, yes. For, yes. for home folk. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I will vouch for you, knowing you for many years, that you don't like things that aren't the way you want them, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and so... 
I'm sure that you put in eight boatloads of work to ensure that the results that the people are going to get mm. are pretty damn close to what you want them to get if they mm. follow your instructions. Is that true? Do you well, feel you've in, achieved the in, same? In, in all honesty, uh, Michael put in more of the time than I did, but um, I would absolutely agree that it's, it's like, yes. So it, it might not be the same amount of work that it, went into this book. But I'm saying, like, so if someone wants to make the hundred layer lasagna here, the workflow might not be the same because workflow in a restaurant is different from workflow in, sure. at home, right? Sure. And like the plot is different; everything's sure. different. But if they follow the instructions, they yes. are going to and they and they are yes. and they are not enemies of quality. Yes. They will be able to produce with this recipe. Absolutely no question. The, the same recipes were tested products. like three times. Each one. Um, I mean, each piece of the recipes were tested as we went along, but then the final recipe was tested three times, um, once in metric, once in American, um, and all of this was done, all the final testing was done on a four-burner stove in an apartment with our recipe tester. Nice. So, you, it you works. Ever, you ever sm- set off the detectors, the smoke detectors? Sure. Nice. Yeah. Many times. The but, but, but the point is, is that it works. So, yeah. we know it works because we, we literally did it. As if someone at home would be doing And the language is digestible, although long. And dirty secret, by the way, that I guess is not a secret, everybody knows it, is that, like, most cookbooks, ain't nobody testing those recipes. That's true. Your editors aren't like, did you test the recipes? No. Editors don't care. Like, they, shockingly, yeah, shockingly. They, yes. I mean, like, you know, my editor cares, but, like, the vast majority of people, they don't care. So, like, a lot of the cookbooks you get out there, they're just completely untested recipes, especially, just not knocking chefs, but like what happens is chefs, you know, don't have a lot of time, and so what happens is is that you have your internal specs, yeah. and then you try to butcher those internal specs directly into a home recipe. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't freaking work. Yeah. You know, well, also because I mean? there's a conceit of like, oh well, they'll never even get this piece of equipment. They'll never even be able to really get this ingredient the way we want it. So why bother? I'm talking about cookbooks from you know restaurants like Del Posto, sort of the top tier stuff. So that so they say, well, really, this we should just write this down because it's another outline for chefs and for people to look at how the food is put together and all that stuff. Um, there's some cookbooks out there with a fine print in the back. I mean, sort of some very high-end restaurants to say, basically, you can't make this at home. Right. I mean, that's in the fine print. Like, well, so, so I'm not suggesting not that that's a, a bad at all. Yeah, well, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily a bad cookbook or a bad thing, or people aren't taking away something from it, but. That isn't what this is. I mean, a lot so. of times people buy a chef's cookbook just to see how a chef thinks or how a restaurant yeah. operates. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, look, there's a long tradition, and uh, you know, years ago, Mike, when Michael Batterberry was still alive, he had me like write something about this. There's a long tradition in Europe of chef's books that are written by chefs for chefs. Not sure. so much here in the U.S. In the U.S., almost all cookbooks are published even by, like, hardcore restaurant chefs. Like, you're a hardcore restaurant chef, you know, like, like are, are published for non-pros. They have to appeal to non-pros. And what that means, typically, is things get dumbed down. And one of the first ones that, you know, that's kind of a pejorative way to put it, but, you know, it's like the chef doesn't really want to alter their recipes and doesn't really, like, know what it means to cook at home because yes. they're a chef. And True. so, like, it's hard It's hard to get that, get that balance. One of the first cookbooks that broke the American mold uh, and actually was just like, I'm just going to give you the professional recipes, and if you don't want to soak all your anchovies in milk, then just don't make this recipe. It was French Laundry Cookbook uh, way, way back in the day. It still sells like crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a great book. You know what I mean? I mean, whether or not you like are a fan of uh, of TK or or you know any of this stuff, is like, that is, like, they were like, I'm just going to tell you how this it's thing defining, works. Defining, defining yeah. book. But I think this, like, th- like, what you're trying to shoot for here is different. You're like, I want you to actually get this result without having to 
operate like I'm in the French Laundry, which is, or at, uh, at Del Posto in your case. So it's like, I think it's a different and almost harder task. Yeah, completely. I mean, we we, we re engineered all the, all the recipes without dumbing them down. And the reason for so doing it, it I mean, that, the real question is why do the work for that is that we felt like Mark's food comes, all the foundation of Mark's food comes from very, very traditional regional Italian cooking. And a lot of that cooking start is sort of passed down through the homes and home chefs. I mean, our home cooks, let's say, in the families. So going back, so we're like, well, this is, we should make this work in homes. Yeah. Like, this is Italian food that's sort of found, the foundation of this food is home cooking, if you keep going back and back and looking at these regional recipes. So we've got to make this work at home to carry on that tradition in some sense. So Right, plus also, it's just, uh, you know, like if you go to Del Posto, which I encourage you to do, uh, you know, everyone there is very, uh, you know, keyed up on you having a positive experience. Like the overwhelming sense you get is like a respect sure, right. for the diner, mm-hmm. for the customer. And I think the same thing's flowing over to the book here is like a respect for the person Absolutely. buying the book that they're going to yeah. get the information Absolutely. that they need. Absolutely. And to me, really, that's the defining kind of uh, service uh, and even in back of house also yeah. characteristic of Del Posto. It's, it's what makes tra- Del Posto traditional Posto. hospitality. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Anyway, well, thanks so much Thank for coming, so much, guys. Steve. Thank, Thank you. you. Cooking issues. Thanks, thanks. a lot. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.